We sang number 341 in our Burgundy hymnals. I am his and he is mine. I hope that some of you that may need a little more comforting about the attributes of God took comfort in the words of that song. Loved with everlasting love it began because the God that we serve is eternal and His love is eternal in both directions towards you. In the first verse we closed out the chorus with, In a love which cannot cease. You can't make it cease. Neither death, nor hell, nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can make it cease. I am His, and He is mine. The last verse, But while God and I shall be, as long as there's a God existing, I am His. Because He's chosen you to be His before the world began, and He will never let you go. And He is mine. As long as I shall be, He is mine. As long as He shall be, you are His. Wonderful words of comfort to us. Brother, do you still like that last song we sang? A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Used to be one of your favorites. Slipping? Okay. Uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark never failing. Amen. The God we have is our Father. Let's look at the revelation God's made of Himself in a few different ways. We call some of these things attributes, even though they're not quite like omnipotent or omnipresent, because they are part of His nature in helping us know Him. He is a self-manifesting God. He wants to reveal Himself, and He does reveal Himself, and chooses to, to His creatures. Without it, we wouldn't know Him. Remember when I reminded you recently in this series of messages that you cannot even know the name of a person or their phone number unless they give it to you. They have to cooperate in order to give you their name or their number. Someone else has to cooperate that got the name or number from them in order for you to know them, let alone some of the important things about other beings or persons like their origin or their abilities or their character, their plans, their love, their hate, their goals, their fear. You would never know those things about another person unless that person told you about them. And God has told us about Himself. And if He hadn't chosen to do it, we wouldn't know Him. We couldn't know Him. But He has chosen to reveal Himself. God made choice in His own will to reveal Himself to men in different ways. Look at Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3. Exodus 6, 3. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. God makes choices to reveal more and more of himself over time. The Bible is filled with progressive revelation Just like Eric was pointing out to you the song, How Great Thou Art, showed progressive revelation in its author's design of those four verses. If we had lived in the time of Abraham, we wouldn't know God as Jehovah, I am that I am. That is a name that he revealed to Moses 500 years later, 400 years after Abraham. And we live on this side of the cross, we know his son Jesus, who is Jehovah, our Savior, We know so much more. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past 
unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. We are blessed abundantly, and we should rejoice in this revelation of God about himself. His works in Scripture, his works in history, his works in your life testify of him. Look at Psalm 77. The revelation of God, his works reveal him, all kinds of works, works of creation, works of providence, works of judgment. But we just, we should see him everywhere. Psalm 77 and verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Things their fathers had told them, things that were written in the scriptures, we have it all. Plus we have things in history that we ourselves can see the hand of God in. From the flood to Hannah, both of which I mentioned earlier in the preaching this morning, God's judgment in the flood, His mercy in saving the eight-member family of Noah, and His judgment on the rest of the wicked, His mercy toward Hannah and exalting her over Peninnah, though she had suffered at Peninnah's hand for some time. From Solomon's much, God's blessing. Where did Solomon's much come from? Because thou hast asked this of the Lord, that he would give thee a wise and understanding heart, I will give thee riches. So we see the hand of God, the work of God in making a man so rich that silver was like gravel. You would have called green tree service and asked for a 10-ton dump of silver instead of pea gravel. It was like stones in Solomon's time in Israel. That's what the Bible wants us to think about the riches of Solomon. And yet the God of heaven saw the widow woman giving two mites. He sees both. He works both. He protects and preserves both. And we see his wonders everywhere and we are supposed to remember them. That 12th verse says, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. And so this slow developing series on the attributes of God, is talking of His doings and His wonderful works. And I hope that you'll remember them and consider them. From Dunkirk to Midway, we see the hand of God in the Second World War. Dunkirk was a horrible failure on the part of far superior fighting force on the part of the Germans. Midway, terrible disaster and terrible blessing, providential, wonderful blessing for the United States to win the greatest victory that had great influence on the Second World War, especially in the Pacific. We've talked about those things. This church likes to talk about those things because we like to give God the glory for His big, strong right hand in the affairs of men. Even when men put together their most mechanized might in the German army, the Lord stopped the German army in order for... 350,000 to be saved at Dunkirk. From a tractor's PTO. Do you know what a PTO is? Power takeoff in the back of a tractor. That's a blessing. It's a witty invention that God's given us. And it's a wonderful thing. We should see the Lord's hand in all those. To chainsaws. Are you happy for chainsaws? Yes. And the internet has allowed us to spread the gospel so far and to meet so many people that the Lord has brought us through that witty invention. And Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 12 tells us it is His witty invention and the result of His wisdom in the world. 
Look at Psalm 13. We're talking about the revelation God's made of Himself all around us. And we're supposed to observe these things, taste them, and speak of them to one another. David had a personal relationship with God, and you should have one as well, to where you can describe your personal relationship. These songwriters that we read, whether it be Isaac Watts, Charlie, Charles Wesley, or Fanny Crosby, they had personal relationships with the Lord, and they write of them. David did. Psalm 13, verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord, because He hath dealt bountifully with me. He didn't need to read that in the Bible. He knew that in his life. And God has revealed Himself to you in your life. He's revealed Himself by forgiveness. He's revealed Himself by answering your prayers. He has revealed Himself, as has been mentioned, and we sung in this assembly already, of His goodness in the little things of life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, which are many. This is David would speak this way. We should be able to speak this way because He's dealt bountifully with us. He's dealt bountifully with us in salvation. He's dealt bountifully with us on a daily basis in practical things. Look at 1819 of the book of Psalms. And David again is speaking. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. Has the Lord brought you into a large place? Don't shake your head no or I'll start talking about you from the pulpit. Because all of you, I know at times in your life where you were lonely, you were constrained in your life, and the Lord just kind of busted the bands off and brought you into a large place. Whether it be a four-story house or something else that He's done for you. He blesses. And that is part of His revelation of Himself to us. A personal one. As David had. Look at 28 and verse 6. Psalm 28, 6. Blessed be the Lord, because He hath heard the voice of my supplications. Now we're going to get, we're going to spend some time on God. God not only hears prayers. The God of heaven hears prayers. Do you know that all the other gods can't hear prayers? But people worship them. But they can't hear prayers. Not one can hear one prayer. That is incredible. The world's religions are insane. Our God not only hears prayers, and you think you know where I'm going? He answers prayers, but that's not where I'm going. Our God hears prayers, but it's not for today. Just hold on. Our God hears prayers. He answers prayers. He teaches us to pray. I mean, now that just, he just starts adding these additional elements to the way that our God treats us. Not only is he, what if he was just a prayer hearing God? I'm sorry, and I hope you understand this, big deal. If he only heard. Well, he's an answering God. But he doesn't just hear an answer. He teaches us how to pray so that our prayers get heard and get answered. And we had Luke 11 used in the back room with the men this morning when we began. That's part of that. But right here in, in Psalm 28, 6, Blessed be the Lord, because He hath heard the voice of my supplications. That is one of the revelations of God in the life of David. We have had those blessings as well. You know, the changed lives of saints show Him. In Psalm 40, it says that God has pulled us out of the miry clay. Maybe He hasn't pulled you out. I know the brother that says He has, Brother Jerry, and I'm telling you He's pulled me out. And 12 years ago, I used Psalm 40 to, to get your attention in a particular 
revival in my life. Psalm 40 says, He brought me up also out of the, a horrible pit in verse 2. Out of the miry clay set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Now watch. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Look at the effect it has. When we have someone in the pulpit that is contagiously excited and worshiping God and happy and thankful and blessed and thanking God for forgiving them, it affects the rest of us. The Bible says, let's make our boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Notice what it says right here. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord because God is revealing himself with what he can do in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. This is a short little expression from the first chapter of Galatians. I'll read to you about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. That when the, when the news went out that Saul of Tarsus had been converted, now he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they glorified God in me. Amen. Remember, this whole series is about glorifying God. And they glorified God in me. Because they couldn't believe it. Saul of Tarsus, now an apostle preaching Christ Jesus, and they glorified God in me. Are you glorifying God through others? Do they see such a change in you and so much zeal for the Lord that they glorify God because of you? They glorified God in me. I want you to think of how much God's revealed to you. Sometimes he'll get a life and change it so much that when we hear their testimony, it just blows us away. It's like hearing about the flood because of the change in a person's life that though they tried, when they're honest with us, they tell us about how... Being out to pasture for 10 years of your life, knowing that you couldn't pray, when you did pray, you know your prayers weren't heard, you had no strength, you had no faith, you had no confidence that you could do anything for more than two minutes because you knew you were going to fail again, and you're just totally helpless. Then the Lord just picks you up. That's what we just read in Psalm 40. Out of a horrible pit. I've been in that horrible pit, and others of you have been in that horrible pit, and the Lord's picked us up and put a song in our mouth. And for a man that's been in a horrible pit and hasn't done any singing for a decade, and then he wants to sing, it's a blessing. And it should encourage us. And when you give your testimonies about those kind of things, it encourages me. And I'm thankful for them. Oh, by the Scriptures. What else, what else did he need to write you about revealing himself in the Scriptures? Look at Psalm 103 that was read to us this morning. 103 in the seventh verse, he made known his ways unto Moses. He told Moses so much in the mountain. Moses came down and told the people of Israel and then wrote it down so we would have it. The five books of Moses. He made known. Do you know what those words mean? He made known his ways unto Moses. We wouldn't know them otherwise. His acts unto the children of Israel. He made them known. He revealed them. I am dealing right now with the revelatory attribute of the God that we worship. He loves to reveal himself and he does it in all kinds of different creative ways. Then it's the ministry of the word by ministers to reveal God. It's, it's for us to show the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ from the preaching of God's word. It's to make war with the imaginations of your heart and mind that exalt themselves against 2 Corinthians 10.6 that exalt themselves against 
the knowledge of God. Because you have thoughts and imaginations that rise up and, and fight against the knowledge of God. And it's a minister's responsibility to make war against them. And you know, you'll never know God unless He reveals Himself to you. Creation isn't enough. Because look at the wicked. They look at creation and end up with idols. Because they worship the creature instead of the Creator. So it's not enough by itself. It's enough for God to say they're without excuse. But if we'd have been left to that, we'd be like them. He's done much more than that. Eternal life is a gift for the elect to know God. We don't know God in order to get eternal life. We get eternal life in order that we might know God. That's what Jesus said in John 17, verses 2 and 3. You have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You don't even know that God is a king and has a kingdom until you're born again, according to John 3 and verse 3. God is a spirit and he has to be revealed by the spirit. And the power of God's Spirit can show us so many things about God until we are, yes, filled with all the fullness of God. That's a lot of revelation when you're filled with all the fullness of God. I, I don't know what else you want to add to that. If you're filled with all the fullness. Now that's three words, filled, all, full. What more do you need? You shouldn't need any. The Lord Jesus Christ said that He reveals God to whomsoever He will. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ making that decision. We're so blessed. You know, Philip said, and I've, I know you've heard these words. I'm going to keep repeating them until you never forget them. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Philip, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Let's move to number six. Attribute number six in the category, the classification of declarative or manifestative attributes, the names of God. You say, well, that ain't much. The names of God. Well, that's because your parents weren't thinking when they named you. They had gone to a drugstore and dropped 39 cents for a book of names. And on the way there, they flipped it open and stabbed at a page, and that's how they got your name. If you're going to pick on the word names, it's just because you live in the 21st century when names don't mean anything to anyone. But in the Bible, they meant things from the very beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. God's names are a declarative attribute absolutely of Him and His nature, for they manifest Him by the meanings of the names that God takes for Himself in the pages of Scripture. Names in the Bible mean a lot. You know, we live in a frivolous, superficial, where they want the sound of the word. Not only in preaching, but in naming kids. And it's faddish. Do you know that, that names in America run in fads? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to name their kid what everybody else is naming their kid. That, that's retarded. That's America. It's the sound. You know, they want to add extra syllables. Certain cultures want to add extra syllables. They think it makes it pretty. It just makes it unknown to everyone because it's never been formed in any language by any person on earth before. And I'll not use any so that you don't get too upset with me. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23. Names in the Bible were very weighty. When when it comes to the names of God, I'm going to show you the names of God are very weighty and the name of God is very weighty. Genesis 2.23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. 
because she was taken out of man, woman, out of man, part of me, my rib, woman. You know, he he didn't go to the CVS and pick himself up a little names for wives and come up with woman. There was meaning there. And I, it's throughout the pages of Scripture. There's so many of these, we could be on this, sub, this particular point for a long time. Look at chapter 3 and verse 20. This is a declarative attribute of God. No doubt. The names of God. He reveals himself by his names. Chapter 3, verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. Why? Why didn't you call her Evelyn? Yvonne. Why was it Eve? Because she was the mother of all living. There's meaning to the word Eve. She's the first mother of all humans. We all came from that mother Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. So there's that name. And you know this is in the pages of Scripture. What was Nabal? You know, Abigail, can you imagine her wedding? Do you take Nabal to be your husband? Oh, what did she say to herself and what did she say out loud? Nabal meant fool. Amen. And she told David it was a correct name. Mom and dad did the right for him because he is a fool. What about Jedediah? Beloved of the Lord. The name for Solomon, Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. What about Jesus? For he shall save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Those names have great meaning. Look at Exodus 34. Exodus chapter 34, and let's look at, let's think about the names of God. Exodus 34, 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, where's the name of the Lord? I am that I am. But he's also merciful, and he's gracious, and he's long-suffering. This name of the Lord. When, when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, he got a proclamation of the name of the Lord. What I'm wanting to show you right now is how extensive that name is and how important it is. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 58. If thou wilt not observe, Deuteronomy 28, 58. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Is it in all capital letters in your Bible? Is that a pretty impressive statement about the name of God? This glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. That name is glorious. That name is fearful. And you should get glory and fear out of it, the proper fear out of that name. Because God's name is exalted in the Bible and Scripture exalts it over and over. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Yes, we're turning many pages because the Scriptures are full of the knowledge of God. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5. Then the Levites, Jeshua and Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethaliah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, 
And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Everything we can ever give God, His name is still above it. And these men declared that. The point that I'm trying to make with this and many other scriptures that could be raised is how great the name of God is. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10 tells us that. God knows your name. Your name is engraved in the palm of His hand. You say God doesn't have a palm of a hand. So He used your language to tell you how personally He knows your name. That's about as personally as we get right there. But He wrote it in a book because this is going to get washed off. So He wrote it in the book of life before the world began. He knows your name. Do you know His name? What is your favorite name of God? I've never thought of that. I don't know if I have a favorite. We're going to help you right now. Before we go home, I'm going to help you. Do you prefer the Lord Jehovah? Or the Lord will provide? Or God our Father? Oh boy. How do you pick between those three? We're not going to worry about Hebrew and Greek names. Elohim may be a plural emphatic name for supreme being and creator of all things. Doesn't help anybody that knows English. Adonai may be a name meaning Lord and ruler of creation with man as his servant, but that's not very helpful either. El Shaddai may be a name meaning omnipotent and supreme God over all things, but since it's already translated in our English Bibles, why go back to those two languages? Theos, the Greek for Elohim, or Kyrios, the Greek for Adonai, may mean similar things. Potter, Greek for father, is not a new name because both Testaments in the Bible tell us that God is our Father. There's, there's things that could be said from Hebrew and Greek that I don't think are going to bear any fruit. Exodus chapter 3, because there's nothing in Greek or Hebrew that we can't show in English, if we can't show it better. Exodus chapter 3, which you led, read eight days ago, last Saturday evening, a week ago, is the burning bush experience where an angel came into the burning bush on behalf of Jehovah and spoke for him. It was an angel. You can find that by reading the whole Bible. And Moses is telling the Lord, after the Lord has told him he's going to send him back to Egypt to bring his people out of Egypt and serve him on that very mountain. In verse 12, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, in the 13th verse, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Now that's a name. That is an incredible name. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. If you are holding that page and you look back at chapter 6 and verse 3, God encouraged, I'm going to read this one to you for the second time in this sermon. 
God said to Moses, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know I am that I am. That was a special revelation to Moses to encourage him to go do something great in the land of Egypt with the people of Israel. There is progressive revelation in this name. This name is to be a memorial forever. There's been a a very long PowerPoint presentation given on a Wednesday night, probably a year ago now, in which we went over this Hebrew tetragrammaton, four consonants that represent I am that I am. And if you want to know how to pronounce it, it's not Yahweh, and it's, it's Jehovah. Because this has God's stamp of divine approval upon it, and when that Hebrew tetragrammaton is pointed up with vowels and pronounced in the Bible in Exodus 6-3 and in Psalm 83 and 18 and in Isaiah 12-2 and in Isaiah 26-4, it is Jehovah. And when the translators did not give us Jehovah, they gave us Lord in all capital letters and it's 6,519 times in your Bibles. I am that I am. The Jews were superstitious about that name and didn't want it pronounced, so they just put four consonants there. And when it's pointed up with vowels for European pronunciation, it's Jehovah. Yahweh isn't in the Bible. I don't know who Yahweh is. Is it Baal? Who is it? Because it's not in the Bible. It's a man-made name for Jehovah. It's somebody that doesn't want to submit to God's preserved scriptures. Because in God's preserved scriptures, it is Jehovah, but there's a whole PowerPoint presentation entitled, A Name Above Every Name. But this is His name, and this name is to be a memorial. I am that I am. What God is, and that God is, He chooses to be by His independence. He is self-expressive, self-manifesting of Him. He is independent of all creatures. He's self-sustaining. He's self-existent. He's independent. He gets no help, no support. I am. It's just incredible power. It's just using the present tense verb to be in a way that's just crushing. I am that I am. I wasn't made. I wasn't formed. I didn't have a beginning. I have no past. I have no future. I am. This is His most glorious name and forms the Lord in all caps and Jehovah in your King James Bibles. It is the most used name of God in the Bible. This is the basis, the root, the origin, and etymological source for the word Jehovah. It means He's not created. He's not derived. He's not affected. He's not influenced. He's not altered. He is absolutely what He is. He's always been that. And he's been that by his own will and by his own power. I am that I am. Not I am what I am. I am that I am. Because I chose that I am. I wasn't given what I am by someone else or some other being. It's a wonderful name. It is opposite pagan gods or idols. They're the imaginations of men. They have, they need a solderer. Did you? I know it's the second time I've mentioned, just, I just get carried away with things like that. That there's soldering in the Bible. And do you know what soldering's in the Bible for? They're making a God. And they need encouragement in their project to get their science project done in time so that they can put it in a temple and worship it. And we have 
I am that I am. You know, Dagon has the Pope's hat on top and a fish's tail on the bottom. Half fish, half man, with an open mouth of a fish on top like the Pope wears in his mitre. That's exciting, isn't it? Dagon. If you push on him, he falls over and breaks. But And you have to glue him back together again. But our God, I am that I am. Allah, the God of the Muslims, that crescent moon on top of their mosques, the moon God of the Arabians, He's never heard a prayer, He's never answered a prayer, and He's never taught anyone how to pray. I am that I am. Absolutely self-existent, self-sufficient, self-determining for all eternity in both directions. God is necessary, eternal, unchangeable, opposite of every creature. All creatures are unnecessary, temporal, changeable, derived, and dependent, and God is opposite. He was without change, so all His promises stand. You go tell them down there in Egypt that the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared, and this is my name. All the promises I made to Abraham, all the promises I made to Isaac, and all the promises I made to Jacob will absolutely come true because my name is I am that I am. There is no changing in me. I am absolutely eternal and immutable. Everything I ever said to those fathers is absolutely as true today as it was then, and it will be absolutely as true as far out there as you can reach as it is today and as it was then because I am hath sent you. While he and I shall be, I am his, and he is mine. What else do you want in a name? I am. You want to trust in something? I am. Circumstances aren't going to change it. Your wickedness is not going to change him. Your righteousness isn't going to add to him. I am that I am. Thank you, Lord, for showing us such a name. But look at Genesis 17. Poor Abraham. He was the friend of God and really didn't know him that well, did he? Not like we can. (laughs) I know what you were thinking when you were in Isaiah 41 and you read that Abraham was my friend. You were thinking, that'd be so great to be the friend of God. Well, you know his name better than Abraham did. And you know his son's name. Let's just look at some of the names of God. And you've got to start picking. Don't you get out of this service without picking some of your favorite names of God. You may already have some. Verse 1 of Genesis 17, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. There's his name, Almighty God. El Shaddai. And that's the one that we have referenced in Exodus 6.3. That that's how I was known to Abraham, but to you I've revealed myself as Jehovah. Let's turn over to chapter 21. Abraham got another name of God. Now, do you like the Almighty God? I am God Almighty. That's omnipotence. Almighty. I have all the power. I'm omnipotent. Omni means all. Potent means power. So it's just a statement of his omnipotence. It's a manifestation of his nature in his name. Names are an attribute of God. They're a declarative attribute. They tell us about him. And they tell us quite a bit. 
if you'll keep reading, and it's too big of a study for us to spend forever on it, but I'll give you a, a number. But Genesis 21 and verse 33. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. There he's the everlasting God rather than the almighty God. Almighty God is omnipotence. Everlasting God is eternal. His eternal nature is indicated by that name. How about Genesis chapter 16? Now we've had mention of this a couple of times over the last two months. But Genesis chapter 16, where there was an Egyptian slave woman taken by Abraham and Sarah. Sarah used her in the bed of her husband Abraham. And Hagar conceived, and she was driven out from the presence of a jealous mistress named Sarah. So we have ourselves a black slave woman, pregnant, fired, and kicked out of the house, out in the middle of the wilderness. Now that's getting down low and dirty. What are you going to do for yourself? Now where's a God, and how is a God going to help someone like that? Now this is the mother of all Muslims. What was her baby's name? Ishmael. To whom do they trace themselves? Ishmael. Genesis 16. She's out there in the wilderness. And verse 7 tells us she's by a fountain in the way. And the Lord speaks to her. And the Lord talks, asks her, what, what are you doing way out here lost? And she get, the Lord, she gives an explanation. The Lord says, go back. I'm going to bless that child of yours. And he's going to be great. His name's going to be Ishmael. Named before he was born by the God of heaven. Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Heard the affliction of Hagar. Then there's a prophecy given of the Arab nations, which is still true to this day. This is the first national geopolitical prophecy in the Bible. Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. And it's so true and fulfilled in history. And to this very time and where the wars and rumors of wars exist in the world, that's our. Verse 13, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Thou God seest me is a name for God. Hagar gave that to God because the Lord Jehovah, Abraham's God, God Almighty, the everlasting God, saw her, heard her, heard her affliction, took comfort in her, sent her back home, told her everything's going to be okay, patted her on the head, named her boy for her, and said, I'll make a great nation out of that boy. This is the God of the Bible. Thou God seest me when you think no one else sees you. And I've mentioned this before. You know, there are times when we're doing things and we think no one sees what I'm doing. Yes, God sees what you're doing. Thou God seest me. Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? She couldn't believe that she, an Egyptian, handmade, kicked out, fired, pregnant woman, slave woman, would be seen by God. She knew about God. She knew that Abraham walked with God. She knew that Abraham worshipped God and talked with God. But she was shocked that God took care of her, and he did. And so he gets a name. Thou God seest me. Exodus 34 and verse 14. Exodus 34 and verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, that is, I am that I am, that is, Jehovah, 
whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Now that verse tells us that God is jealous. So can we learn something about Him? That is a transferable attribute that we're going to get to in coming weeks. God is jealous. He says if you're a friend of the world, then you're the enemy of God because He's jealous. He wants all of your love, all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength in loving Him. You're a a spiritual adulterer or a spiritual adulteress if you befriend or flirt with this world in the sight of God because He's jealous. His name is Jealous. And so can we learn something about God if we had that one verse to tell us about God? He is a jealous God, and so much so that His name is Jealous. And I want to tell you something. Until you read the whole Bible, you may not grasp that jealousy is a good thing on the part of a man about his woman. It doesn't work the other way. It's jealousy by a man for his woman. In Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31, there's 20 verses that talk about the test of jealousy that a man could subject his wife to if he was gone or if he wasn't gone. The Bible tells us very specifically there had to be no circumstantial evidence of anything except in his heart and his mind he was scared that his wife was messing around on him. And he could take his wife down to the priest and have her drink a potion in the name of the Lord. And if she had been running around or messing around on her husband, she would start to rot right there on the spot in her genitals. If she hadn't been running around and been subjected to this unfairly, she would conceive seed and give him a child and reunite that marriage again. But that's because God understands jealousy. In the last chapter of the Song of Solomon, it talks about jealousy being a fire that can't be quenched because real love is jealous on the part of a man. And this is the part of God. Remember, we're the bride. We're the wife. We're the woman when it comes to our relationship to God. And he's jealous. And his name is jealous. And the Bible backs that up, whether it's the Song of Solomon or whether it's Numbers chapter 5. His name is holy. Look at Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. What? It didn't take this verse very long to get onto the blog. (laughs) Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We'll never be as holy as God other than He makes us holy. But we can get into His holy place with Him for fellowship by having a humble and contrite spirit about our sins. That means a repentant spirit. But His name is holy. And so it tells us something about God. He's the King Eternal in 1 Timothy 1.17. He's the blessed and only potentate King of Kings and Lord of Lords in 1 Timothy 6.15 and several places in the book of Revelation. Look at Genesis 22.14. Genesis chapter 22. You be thinking about your favorite names. Genesis 22. Abraham's got Isaac tied in an altar. And Abraham's hand is, risen, is, is raised to heaven with a knife and he's about to bring it down and slay his son and he was going to slay Isaac because he knew that God could raise him from the dead. And now that kind of a look in a father's eyes would not be comforting to Isaac at that moment because Isaac may not have had faith in the resurrection of the dead at that point as much as his father did. But 
That's the situation. Genesis 22, 14. Verse, we got to get 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Amazing that it would just be there at the, that time. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Who was happier, Abraham or Isaac? And Abraham called the name of that place, and this is what I want. I want you to grab a hold of some of these. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. There would be a substitute provided for Isaac. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh. What do you need provided in your life? You've had a Savior provided. What else did you need? Jehovah-Jireh. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You're married. Well, you knew where I was going. Yes, you could see the hungry look on my face at that raw piece of meat sitting in the third row. Jehovah Jireh. He has done this for us. What's your favorite name? Isaac liked this name for obvious reasons. What name do you like? This is so much, there's so much pleasure in the Word of God. Exodus 17. Exodus 17. There's one nation that didn't like this name, and there's a nation that did like it. Joshua discomfited Amalek. This is verse 13 of Exodus 17. Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. What they just did to you on trying to get from Egypt to Canaan... I'm going to exact it out of their nation and wipe them out. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, now the nation of Israel had just been persecuted by Amalek, so they liked the name. Amalek, if they ever heard the name, wouldn't have liked it. Because the Lord had sworn that he would forever have war with Amalek. And we had by the Lord's providential circumstantial connections, a look at 1 Samuel 15 in the first service this morning in which God remembered that 500 years later and wiped Amalek from the earth. Judges chapter 6. What's your favorite name? He knows your name. Do you know his name's? You say, I'll bet there's more. You're right. The Bible's got a lot of names for God. And every one of them tells us something about Him. Every one of them tells us something that a particular person, at least one, could take comfort in. This is Gideon. Gideon sees an angel of the Lord and is scared and thinks he's about to die. Judges chapter 6 and verse, the angel comes to him, verse 19, 20, and so forth. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto him by the angel, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. You're not going to die because you've seen my angel. Because look at him back in verse 22. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God! Look at that exclamation point. For because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, he's sure he's going to die. We do not understand 
the glory and power of the God of heaven and the angels that surround Him, the innumerable company of angels that we are brought into close union with through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Hollywood has these movies about these goofy-looking, effeminate men, uh, actors as angels of the Lord. But look at what happens to mighty men of valor when they meet an angel of the Lord. That's not the subject for this time, but there is sermons on our website about the angels of God. Peace be unto thee, in verse 23, Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Afra of the Abiezrites. Jehovah Shalom. I am that I am is peace. Shalom, peace. Is he a God of peace to you? Now the God of peace, the Bible says. There's a nice name. Am I getting your attention yet? These are the names of the, of the Lord in the Bible. Jehovah, to Sid can you, the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, one of my favorites, the Lord of hosts. Do you know how many times that's in the Bible? About 285 the Lord of hosts. What are the hosts? The armies of angels of heaven. And He is the Lord of hosts. What in the world are you going to be afraid of? No wonder David could write and say, if war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Because the Lord is with me. The Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth. Jehovah Reah. From Psalm 23 in verse 1. The Lord our shepherd. Jehovah, a shepherd? I'm his little sheep? That's how God wants you to know him. Jehovah, Reah. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah, Rapha. From Exodus chapter 15. The Lord, our healer. Because they came out of Egypt where there were a lot of abominable diseases. And God said, I will heal you from all those diseases that I will not put upon you, the diseases of Egypt. The Lord, our healer. Jehovah Medkadesh from Exodus 31. The Lord who sanctifies by giving them the sign of sanctification with the Sabbath. Wow. Now unto the King eternal, the blessed and only potentate, I am that I am, or I am, or Jehovah Jireh, or Lord God Almighty, Which one? The Lord is my shepherd. Holy. Jealous. Names. Thou God seest me. He reveals much about himself in his names. The Lord Jesus Christ would tell repeatedly in the book of Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega, and that's referring to his divine nature, the nature of God. That's the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm all there is, I'm everything in between. I'm the start, I'm the end, I'm the origin, I'm the object. I am Alpha and Omega. That's quite a name. I am the A and the Z, if you have to stick to your 26 character alphabet of the English language. Jesus is a name which is above every name. Because in the name of Jesus, which is really Jehoshua, no woman ever called her baby Jesus. Because Jesus is a word that came from Hebrew into Greek into English. 
And that name is Joshua. You can prove this in the King James Bible, which we've done many times before, of going to Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 4 and finding out that the successor to Moses was named Jesus in the New Testament, which tells us, ah, that is Joshua. And when we go back and we look up Joshua, we find out that Joshua's real name was Jehoshua. The first four letters being J-E-H-O for Jehovah and Shua for salvation. Jehovah is salvation, which is exactly what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. She shall bring forth a son, now shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Two verses later, he said his name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. God with us is our Savior. Jehovah is our Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is Jehovah in the flesh who laid down his life on the cross to redeem us from all our sins. He's called the Everlasting Father in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. These are the names of God. He's holy. He's jealous. He sees even Hagar when she's out in the wilderness. Even though she was far from the altar of God where Abraham worshipped God, he was there. He'll provide. He's peace. He's the Lord of hosts. You know, if you read the right authors, and by the right authors, I mean the wrong authors, but if you read the right authors about the growing military strength of China, you can start adding up numbers because they don't have enough to do over there, and so they join the army, and they get armies of 5 million or 10 million, and so what? Nobody uses men in the field for fighting anymore anyway. You know, all our drones are going to do is fly overhead and look down and blast them away if we were ever to have a war. But none of that matters, brethren. Don't get caught up in all the wars and rumors of wars and thoughts and stuff that goes on to shake the faith of God's children because the Lord of hosts is with you. Jehovah Sebaoth. And let's put our trust in Him. He's revealed Himself to you so many different ways. I hope that... He's revealed himself to you personally so that you know him personally, that he delights in you and that you in turn will delight in him. Do you know his name? He knows yours. He's written in the palm of his hand. He's written in the book of life. We should give our days to speak of him and to tell of the things, to tell of his great doings, his mighty wonders of old, and to remember them, many of them known by his names. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.